recording already? Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so my question is, what are some things that nobody prepared you for about like coming out? One thing I wish I had known before coming out was that there's there's a calling in that can be done versus coming out. There's something about coming out that feels kind of inherently unsafe. I think when you're someone that has a lot of different intersectionalities and you're a minority, when you've dealt with a lot of oppression and a lot of unsafety your whole life, the concept of coming out feels like unsafe to me. And I recently learned that you can call people into your queer experience and you can invite people in to witness your relationship or your queerness or whatever and you can be selective about who gets to witness that or celebrate you or whatever. It doesn't have to be like a coming out to the world and then opening yourself up to mm-hmm. any and everything and everyone. Yeah, And it doesn't have to be like a fear or shame about sharing who you are with people but I like the idea of like keeping that part of my life somewhat sacred and inviting people that are absolutely in support of me to witness that we don't post about each other on social media and a couple years ago that might have bothered me if I was in a place where I couldn't post or if I was dating someone that didn't post about me or I don't know. I feel like years ago I probably would have felt weird about it. But given the circumstances of why I don't post anything about my personal life on social media, I kind of like that we don't post about each other because it feels like very close to the vest and safe and sacred. And like, not that I want to hide us from anything, but I don't know. There's something special about it. Yeah. What about you? <laughs> well, you had like a like a serious, good, thoughtful response, and I had more of like a funny response. <laughs> That's fine. Um, mine, one of mine is like more related to like being trans, or really just like in terms of not being born with a penis, but then like using one, like whether it's a strap on or like now that I've been on tea but this like urge to say something (laughs) when you are presenting it for the first time like uh I I couldn't make my own so I hope store-bought is okay it's just there's so many there's so many things that are just you don't know until you know yeah and um and like in terms of to respond to your answer it it does feel this is the first time I've been in a relationship where I have felt kind of like anxious about posting something Mm -hmm. and that you know because of like what we've talked about and what you've been through um and it does feel kind of weird but also like safer Because when I think about how much we put out there and how much can be used against us Mm -hmm. in the wrong hands, you know, like some things that are sacred 
like we really do have to think about protecting them in that way and I've never really been that kind of person like I'm very like like I've said before you know the first time I got a positive pregnancy test it was on Facebook you know I wasn't waiting three months you know (laughs) or whatever um doing a big cute announcement I was like I'm pregnant you know like (laughs) uh but this is the first I think really healthy relationship that I've been in in the age of like social media there are so many questions that are added I feel like to a relationship like do I post about it on one platform and not another or do I share pictures are people going to like say something you know are people going to be mean or are they going to be supportive Mm -hmm. like I'm lucky to have mostly had a positive experience with social media as an adult. But, you know, there's, there are just things that I feel like are, yeah, it's, it's just because it's different, you know? I mm-hmm. feel like 10, 20 years ago, social media already existed, but it was just like a new kind of thing in this way that was like, just getting started and now I feel like there are other questions about it Mm -hmm. you know and just like how you like if you were to take like a relationship course I feel like there could be a whole class on just like how you handle your relationship on social media yeah this is the first relationship I've been in that's not on social media and it's kind of nice And I've noticed, like, when I look back at my past relationships and how much I posted about them, they weren't great relationships. They looked really good on Instagram. But behind closed doors, those relationships were not good. There was nothing to, like, celebrate and post about. But I wanted that validation from people that I was in, like, a cute relationship. Yeah. (laughs) And I think also Compet comes into play there, too. Because having a boyfriend back then meant like, okay, I can cross that off my list of things that I have to do. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm in a relationship, so I've like... Stop worrying about that. Yeah, I've made it in some way. Gross. (laughs) (laughs) But, did he fart? (laughs) Oh, Wilbur! That's what I thought you were saying. Gross, too. I was like, it's perfectly timed. Because it hit me when you said gross. I was oh, like, God. oh, God. But Wilbur's little butt. His butt can do some damage. That little tiny... It smells like he ate eggs for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's interesting because I think that's the case for a lot of people who are posting, like... It's like a save the marriage kind of attempt, you know, Mm -hmm. to keep that face up of like everything's great, you know, we're in a cute relationship, everything's, Mm -hmm. you know, like with my ex-wife, she would post stuff like that. And, and at times it did feel kind of disingenuous. So it was like kind of hard to see instead of like heartwarming. It was kind of hard to see because I was Mm. like, do you really feel that way? Or is that just like how you want it to kind of look Mm. appear that way? Or like you are maybe 
fooling yourself like not no judgment you know Mm -hmm. like we all go through what we have to go through and like maybe that was her process because I think she was very much in love with love and wanting to be in love and wanting to have a family and you know and there's nothing wrong with that necessarily the wanting to have a family part yeah but like being in love with love it's cute on paper but when you meet someone like how do they know that you actually love them and not just like an idea that you have fixed in your head Mm -hmm. because you want it to work you know and like i've definitely been guilty of that i think a lot of us have like that's why i say no judgment because i've been there you know, like we, I think a lot of us have where we tell ourselves whatever we have to, to not rock the boat, to mm-hmm. stay in that relationship so that it's not a thing that we have to worry about to go back to what you were saying. Because I think, you know, like when I first got married at 21 to a man and I was pregnant and I was like, I'm, this is, Now I don't have to worry about this anymore. Like, I'm set. Mm -hmm. You know? And it was... I was always relieved that I didn't have to worry about it anymore. Mm -hmm. But I was gay and I didn't know it, you know? So, like, there were other things. But, like... And, for instance, in that relationship, you know, it was like there's, there's not an attraction after, like, the initial, like, whatever wore Mm -hmm. off. And the initial whatever was me being celibate for a year in Alaska in AmeriCorps and coming home and just like he was the first person that I went on a date with Mm. and you know we hit it off and he was my best friend for like several years of our marriage and everything Mm -hmm. he was my best friend but I didn't want to sleep with him Mm. and so I did things to like try it like I told myself things I tried all these things but ultimately it just wasn't gonna work out because I didn't want to sleep with him Mm -hmm. you know and so no matter what I did it wasn't gonna work unless I just was able to compartmentalize all hell and back and just Mm -hmm. perform but I performed without realizing I was performing. Yeah. From, like, for a decade (laughs) before I figured out I was gay or queer. (laughs) I think we all do things. I think, you know, people who are socialized female in our society are really generally not maybe so much anymore but like definitely still when we were kids it was really about like you're you are gonna grow up and get married and have a family and Mm -hmm. that's the that's the path Mm -hmm. like I remember having had my kids and you know already thinking like that was that was it for my life you know and having all these childless friends Because I went to Berkeley, there were such a mix of people, you know, Mm -hmm. but a lot of them didn't have kids. And so I realized at some point, I didn't realize that not having kids was an option. 
it was only ever presented as like a sad thing, either because you weren't able to find someone in time. And mm-hmm. so you just like give up, you know, like one of my mom's friends, like she wanted, but then she gave, you know, and again, no judgment, but like those, that's one of the narratives, right? The spinster narrative. Like, like she tried to find it. She couldn't. So it didn't happen, mm-hmm. you know? There was, or like, there's this selfish rich aunt, you know, who goes traveling and like does mm-hmm. all this stuff. And, you know, everybody kind of paints that kind of person as like shallow or selfish, mm-hmm. you know, or self centered because they don't want to have kids. They want to just keep doing their life. But it was never, I feel like, really presented, or or they couldn't because their you know their body couldn't, or they mm-hmm. they couldn't afford to adopt or whatever you know mm-hmm. reason. It was only ever presented as like a sad thing. Like if you didn't have kids, it was for a sad reason. Yeah, and it was never presented as like you can just choose not to have kids. Like if you have family trauma that you don't want to pass down, you can cut it off. It's yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, like, or just like, you don't want to have kids. You do want to travel. That doesn't make you selfish. That doesn't make you sad person. Mm -hmm. You know, like if you're doing what you want and need to do with your life and kids aren't, part of that plan like that doesn't mean you're a selfish self-centered person there are so many different reasons to not have kids and you can never really know why someone doesn't have kids unless you do know because Mm -hmm. you've talked to them about it but it's just like it was never presented to me as a positive option like or you could choose not to have kids and just like do other stuff Mm mm-hmm my 20s would have been really different, you know? Yeah. Back when I was still doing salon work, probably hmm, maybe three, four times a week, I would get asked this list of questions from new women clients. So are you seeing anyone? Oh, you're single. Do you have any kids? Oh, well, it's not too late. (laughs) Are you seeing anyone? Are you married? Oh, you're not married? Do you just not want to be? Do you have kids? Oh, you don't? Do you just not want kids? Well, it's not too late. Every couple days, I would get asked those questions. And at the time, in my early 20s, it wasn't that I didn't want to get married or didn't want to have kids. It just wasn't happening. Yeah. But I would think, like, what if I couldn't have kids? What if I was actively trying and it wasn't happening? What if I had trauma around that? What if I was going through a divorce or something or had like an abusive husband Mm -hmm. and you're asking these kinds of questions for what, why do you have to like figure out how much respect you should give me based on where I fall on the hierarchy of what women should be doing by my age? Like, why do you need to know these like deeply personal things about me? I think that sometimes it's just someone awkwardly trying to connect with a generally common human experience you know like a lot of people have can be like oh yeah I'm married and oh yeah I have a kid and then they can be like oh yeah you know when they're seven and they do this or you know Mm -hmm. like there's there's a potential connection in conversation there 
but yes, like there is like, I think so many people don't realize how deeply like potentially upsetting that, you know, path of conversation can be for people because it is such a deeply personal thing. Mm -hmm. Like I, I know a lot of people who struggled to get pregnant and, you know, I got pregnant super easily, but then I, my first baby died. So, you know, like we all have different kinds of battles or, Mm -hmm. you know, like experiences in those ways. Like everybody's so different and you just really, you really can't know unless you ask, but, or they tell you, they offer that information, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. I mean, to me, it always felt like a weird measuring up. I think there's also that, like, I, yeah, I, I can see, like, there's a, there's, like, where are you at on the hierarchy, and if, and because, you know, like we were saying, like I was saying before, the idea that if you choose not to do that, that you're selfish or Mm -hmm. self-centered, like, oh, you're, you're not a breeder, so you don't, I'm not gonna talk to you, or whatever, and it is, and it's one of those things that, because our society puts such a high value on it as a life experience Mm -hmm. it's not like we need to keep breeding to keep the human race going like we don't we are parasites humans are literally parasitic Mm -hmm. to their environment Mm -hmm. and we're breeding out of control (laughs) i think that's why more of us are coming out as queer like i bet of like evolutionarily or whatever there's like some sort of survival mechanism there. I mean, obviously, I don't know scientifically, but I wonder if something like that is the case. You know, like in in environments where there's no males mm-hmm. in a, and they, you know, someone switches or whatever. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's maybe part of it. Like there's there's like a survival instinct in us that's like, okay, we need to. S- there's a number of us that need to stop being able to get pregnant so easily. Maybe. 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 I think to add to that, because I see where you're going with it and that does make sense to me, there have been laws and law enforcement upholding men. Patriarchy is like the thing. And women are to be collected and used and utilized to like you're gonna give birth to my legacy you're gonna cook and clean and and do all these things and laws were in place that made women dependent on men yeah for survival men's motivation where i'm gonna go to school i'm going to get this really good job where i make really good money so i can buy a really good house so i can get a woman Mm -hmm. basically their whole motivation was being able to get some prize of a woman. And that's like a whole post-war thing. Like, men were really set up to get what they wanted post-World War II. But then in women's liberation, we got more opportunities. We were able to go to school, work, get our own bank accounts. Less opportunities than men, less pay than men, but still we were kind of finding our way to not need men to survive. Yeah. Right. And so the less 
law and law enforcement makes it so we need men, the less we need them, the less we want them. (laughs) So maybe that's why over the last few decades, more and more and more people are coming out as queer or non-binary, especially since COVID being like locked down and locked up with your spouse. So many divorces happened during that time. So many people came into like spiritual awakenings. Well, it was a lot of forced like time on your hands for introspection. I mean, not for everyone, obviously, because there were like the essential workers who needed, and I'm not saying that with mockingly, but like the people who were called essential workers, but then still just treated like absolute shit. Mm -hmm. Um, so, like, how essential are they if you're going to treat them like shit? Like, and pay them like shit, too. One of the interesting things, and I, I'm sure it's been said before by other people because I did a paper on it, but um, one of the interesting things about patriarchy that a lot of people seem to forget is, like, it's a double-edged sword, like, in a lot of ways. Like, men do have a lot of power, but then for all of the men in the world like there are men who were born into that patriarchy Mm -hmm. and they are expected to uphold it Mm -hmm. at all costs and so that's where it fucks them Mm -hmm. you know and like the rates the rates of depression in men and women were almost equal at that time if i remember correctly from the research that i did because because um, they were expected to just be the breadwinner. They were expected mm-hmm. not to do anything outside of, like, you do get the, you get the job, you get married, you buy the house, you support the wife and the kids, mm-hmm. you know. And if you couldn't uphold that, you know, that's why so many men could just, like, commit suicide. Because mm-hmm. they just, they don't see how they're in the bed of their own making. And that bed mm-hmm. is, like killing them too it's it's nobody is winning and the thing about marriage is like a lot of people think that it's just a religious thing but it started as a legal thing because when men were the ones holding the title or the land or whatever that was their that was their possession and they wanted to make sure that they were passing it down to their Loin fruit. That <laughs> <laughs> they want to pass it down to their DNA. You and they know? need a bearer of the They loin need fruit. a bearer of the DNA. And that is why, you know, because paternity tests weren't the thing, mm-hmm. but they had like marriage contracts. Like the first three kids have to look like the husband, or like you have to have this many kids before mm-hmm. you can fuck off with the gardener or whatever. Like, there were expectations around it, and that's why virginity was so highly valued and protected in those days, because it was the it was the commodity that could be offered, mm-hmm. and the only way to ensure that ensure that you were getting someone who wasn't going to be like stepping out or wasn't going to come already pregnant and then you were gonna give someone else's kid all your shit no way in hell right they're not gonna do that i mean as if women (laughs) back in those days had all kinds of autonomy over their own body they didn't if they were stuck in a marriage like they were stuck in a marriage and there were there were men 
that still suffered back then too. I want to be an artist. No, you have to go fucking do whatever because that's what's expected of you. You have to divorce yourself from anything that you want that's not in line with that. And so like that just severs the connection to your emotional body. And if you can't completely sever that connection, then you suffer in that, in those circumstances, because you can't, unless you were lucky enough to find a marriage that was good yeah, and you had love and respect, but you, you were fucked if you weren't in line with all of it. Mm-hmm. If it didn't work out for you, like it didn't work out. You couldn't get divorced. I feel like our, there's a lot of people in our generation of cis men, maybe not quite the incels, but there's like a cut above the incels that have these conversations about like traditional women and submissive women and how the generation of their grandmothers, like they stayed married. My grandparents were married for so long. Like women need to go back to like how our grandmothers were. They couldn't have a credit card in their own name. They couldn't open a bank account. Our grandmothers really didn't have like choices. (laughs) Or laws kept them where they were yeah. back then. Yeah, it's not about the nightgown. <laughs> the night slip. Yeah, I remember they like grandma pregnant. That was, that was getting the yeah, like yeah. the what was it, the sweet candy yams <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> I remember that. And it's funny, like as a joke, mm-hmm. you know, but like the reality of it is just like she was gonna get pregnant and what? Yeah, she didn't have a choice. She didn't have a choice. She had nowhere to go. And it, she could wear a potato sack and she was still gonna have to also kind of I feel like ignores the idea of women women's sexuality though. Mm-hmm. You know, like maybe grandma had that many kids because she was enjoying herself. Maybe. 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 Let's hope. What? No. Let I I honestly hope for granny. I yeah. hope for everyone that they get to have good sex if that's what they want. That they get to have hot, respectful, delightful sex. If that's what they want. Yeah. Because it's wonderful to be able to do that and to be with someone that you can have that experience with. And so, and if you can, and if you can get pregnant and you didn't have birth control, like Mm -hmm. 10 kids later, you know, her uterus falls out. (laughs) Also, if it wasn't like a huge financial burden back then to have 10 kids. It's a huge financial burden in any, any day and age, I think. Well, I mean... Like, if I look back at my family, my grandmother had seven, six or seven. Grandpa had more with other women, but my mother's mother had six or seven. And they were on a farm. They needed help. That was my question. (laughs) That was going to be my next question. Like, did they have, like, a farm or a situation where they needed to multiply the hands (laughs) that could help? They needed help. Because then that is, like, money. And then in that culture, I I can't speak for, like, all Caribbean culture, but from where my family's from, I think a lot of cultures around the world, your children are kind of your life insurance policy. Yeah. Like, your children, you hopefully put them, you set them up to live a better life than you did, and then your children go off and make money, and they send money back home. 
that's a thing. So it's kind of like beneficial to have shit tons of kids and hopefully you don't traumatize them and they'll want to help you when they're older. That's definitely a thing. Yeah, I feel like there's there are a lot of people who are like, you know, who's going to, if you don't have kids, who's going to take care of you when you're older? And it's like, well, whether you have kids or not, you may be on your own. Like, mm-hmm. even if, even if you have a great relationship with your kids, yeah. there are people who don't want their kids to take care of them because they don't want to put them in the position of being the caretaker. And that is, you know, that's a whole other conversation, like, of that dynamic. Like, if you're married and you're a caretaker, you know, like, or you have kids and you need a caretaker and you have kids, like, there's a lot of judgment around that, you know, that to loop back to, like, women and their or people who can have kids and their decision to or not, you know, mm-hmm. like disabled people are a huge you know part of that community conversation of like judgment and like like if someone who's blind has a kid like oh how are you gonna blah 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 if they're deaf how are you gonna blah 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 Mm -hmm. hear the baby cry or whatever like there there are tools there are ways people have been doing it for centuries Mm -hmm. you know like deaf people didn't just start with like Helen Keller that wasn't like the first gen of of deaf people or whatever like also speaking of Helen Keller how are you gonna be deaf and blind and racist that's a whole other conversation by the way well I feel like racism back then racism back then was just like the water in the fishbowl like everybody was living it not everybody obviously but all the people back then were and I'm not saying that as like an excuse (laughs) at all I'm just like how amazing deaf blind and racist it is (laughs) yes it is totally fucked like you i feel like if there's any part of your identity that is not within the norm it can kind of help you get there a little easier if you let yourself reflect on that like even just one instance of someone discriminating against you for no other reason than because of xyz Mm -hmm. like that should get you thinking about what other people are experiencing if you've never experienced that before i'm i'm pretty lucky or fortunate as a non-binary trans person to have had a relatively easy um transition in terms of I've I've had access to healthcare, um, I transitioned gracefully. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't have like a awkward phase where like I wasn't passing, but I wanted to. But like it was in the middle. I I because I was just like trans mask non-binary, and as soon as I figured that out and I like cut my hair and I performed masculinity Mm -hmm. in the beginning like I really performed it in the way that like a neurodiverse person masks Mm -hmm. I knew exactly how to mask as a mask (laughs) (laughs) um and just was really performative about it and then was like wait why am I performing masculinity as told by our society Mm. you know like man spreading like scowling like not smiling and i got served way more 
when I first came out and like had still had like my boobs and everything granted they were kind of flat because I had had three kids and it you know was easy to hide them but (laughs) (laughs) I was served way more than I am now Mm. and I look you know and I have like facial hair and I don't have boobs and my build is different my voice is a little deeper um but because I was performing masculinity people read me as masculine more mm-hmm. and I don't remember why I got on that tangent but it was it was really interesting and it you know oh just like and you know because I'm I'm white and trans mask I was curvy when I first came out but I lost weight because of Adderall and stress and divorce and coming out in my late 20s and already having kids and all of that and so I was able to dress in more masculine clothes that's what I mean like I didn't really struggle with that kind of stuff that I see a lot of trans mask people struggle with like dude I have giant boobs and hips and I cannot pass Mm. like I no matter if I bind or whatever like I cannot pass in public because of the way that my body is shaped and that's a that's real that's a real struggle and i feel like it's easier for trans mask people and than trans femmes i I haven't been trans femme so i can't like speak on their behalf but in terms of being able to pass more like you look like a young boy before you grow facial hair or whatever Mm -hmm. generally you can look like a young man who just hasn't like really grown their beard yet or whatever and you can pass in those ways that's like easier sometimes than for some trans femmes who have like classically quote-unquote masculine features Mm -hmm. that they can't that they can't downplay without surgical intervention sometimes Mm -hmm. so and we have so much to go back to the patriarchy and everything we have we put such a high value on masculinity that anyone who's seen as giving it up willingly Mm. that's suspect why are you giving up a privilege Mm -hmm. power it's giving up power it's power it's privilege and then you're you're choosing quote unquote you're giving that up and so there's like enough there's like a thing that you can really see with some cis guys especially where they just get like really upset about that without really realizing that that's what it's about that 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 person decided that they were going to give up something that they chase so hard even if you are masculine because what does masculinity even mean it's so many different things Mm -hmm. it can be expressed in so many different ways like and and these people who are so insecure in their masculinity they don't accept that they already have it they chase it and so if Mm -hmm. someone has it and they give it up to be a trans femme like they're ungrateful or they're like Mm -hmm. That's, I think, part of it. But, like, when someone is trans mask, 
like they're seen as trying to be a man and there's I think maybe more understanding about it like because of course you want you'd rather be a man because they get treated better in our society or whatever I mean it's it's freaking fascinating as a trans person to have witnessed the change in the way people interact with me even in my and not because they're weird about me being trans or whatever just the way that they responded to me when I was expressing femininity versus expressing masculinity Mm -hmm. like I with my women friends I noticed they were a lot more nurturing they wanted to cook for me they wanted to like there was some like fawning that we do with men Mm -hmm. that we you know like we cook for men we take care of you know not all of us obviously but like that's the societal kind of like conditioning that Mm -hmm. you are a nurturer and the masculinity is what triggers it Mm -hmm. like but I love cooking for people. So I mm-hmm. like it's kind of I get antsy when I'm sitting there. I just realized this. I get antsy when I'm sitting there cuz someone else is cooking for me and I wonder if part of that is conditioning. Like you get antsy when I clean. There's guilt. <laughs> there is guilt that I am not performing the things that I was conditioned to do. Like I'm supposed to keep the house clean. I'm supposed to make the meals, I'm supposed to take care of the children, all of that is my stuff, and I'm supposed to be on top of all of it, or I'm a bad parent. Mm. I'm a bad mom. See, now, being non-binary, I don't know. I've had times where I'm like, does my role change? But it doesn't. It doesn't, because you're still a parent. Right. You still need to take care of your kids in the same way you needed to take care of them before. Mm Mm-hmm. But it is interesting to have that kind of, like, cognitive struggle of, like, what am I supposed to be doing now? I had this... I feel like I'm talking forever. (laughs) (laughs) Keep going. I had this moment, like, classic parent moment. Uh, I was getting ready to go and was watching me get ready. And I was tying a tie or a bow tie. And I was thinking... if. Before I came out, like, and would watch me put my makeup on. Mm. And thinking about the different things that we expect different parents and parental roles to, like, pass on to their kids and stuff. Like, the idea that I should be teaching how to tie a tie because I tie ties, because I wear Mm. ties, because I'm masculine or whatever. Mm -hmm. Versus, like, showing how to do makeup because I'm feminine and I wear makeup. It's just... It's really interesting. Nothing really changes at the core of that relationship, but there are so many added questions Mm -hmm. that just kind of swirl around. Like, who am I now as a parent? Am I doing the right things? Like, those questions just kind of, I feel like, change a little bit, even though the role doesn't. I don't know if that makes sense. It does make a lot of sense. I also believe, as someone who doesn't have children and may never parenthood i don't think was ever supposed to be like a solo gig married or not partnered or not i see like watching my friends raise their kids 
those that are married, those who are, that are single and doing the single parent thing, watching you raise your kids. It's like, I see why they say it takes a village. It's supposed to take a community to raise children. Yeah. It's like, it just seems so hard doing it solo and also going through your own personal thing and like figuring out your identity and whether or not your role changes and having all those questions. I wish that there were more parents that had more of a community around them to help. Like even with me and my sister, I'm an older sister, and our childhoods are so different because my mom was much closer and much more involved with her family, like the extended family. So my sister got to know all of my aunts and uncles. I have a lot of aunts and uncles mm-hmm. and tons of cousins. And she got to know my grandparents and hear all the story times of like back in Antigua when they were young. And she got those experiences and I absolutely didn't. I don't know my extended family very well. And it's just, it's just, I don't know. It seems like a so much more rich way to grow up so much more of a robust experience of like being a kid when you have community even if it's just like big family big Mm -hmm. extended family it's gotta be really hard doing it like mostly alone yeah i mean and it's expected that if you do have to do it alone that you need to be the hero like Mm -hmm. who does it all you know we say don't be a hero like (laughs) yeah but like I think another, like, another factor to add on to that is, like, when you have a community raising, helping you raise your kids, like, there's a potential for more, like, well-roundedness in that upbringing, like, in terms of viewpoints and behaviors and stuff. Like, if you just have, like, two examples of how to be in the world... If you have two parents and you're isolated, I feel like those personalities are going to have way more impact on the identity that kid forms Mm -hmm. than if there are more people around. Like maybe your mom's really intense, but your aunt is really chill and loving and you can go to her and talk to her. Mm -hmm. It's not just that one person being your entire reality for how the world functions Mm -hmm. like we we learn through our parents lens we learn how to see the world through our parents lens they put those glasses on us when we're babies and and i mean not everybody's raised by their parents obviously but our adults that have that impact on us i think that intensity would potentially be lessened mm-hmm. by having more people around to have more examples of people to look up to or to not want to be like, you mm-hmm. know. And I think that's that's a really rich possibility for people who are able to do that, to have that ability to access different ways of being in the world different perspectives and so it's not just this like insular idea of how everything is Mm -hmm. i feel like that's so much harder to break out of than if you were lucky enough to have a community family situation yeah it does seem like people on the outside looking in expect single parents to do it all and to do it all very well 
Yeah. And to have no complaints or needs. Like, our society seems so against anyone having a need for support. And I feel particularly bad for neurodivergent parents who have high support needs, autistic parents, mm-hmm. who maybe seem, seem... I know high-functioning isn't the term to use anymore, um, but like high-masking, appearing as though you don't have super high support needs because people can be around you and not be made uncomfortable by your neurodivergence because you can mask well enough. But, I don't know. I, can't, I couldn't imagine being a single parent. One of my biggest fears is ending up a single parent. Not that there's any shame in being a single parent, but I just, knowing what I know now about my brain and my own support needs and my trauma, I don't think I could do it. I mean, potentially... I feel like there, there is a certain amount of, like, you do it because you have to. But that's not always true. Like, there are plenty of people who have children and can't perform actual parenting for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So they don't do it. But instinctually, for a lot of people, when they have kids, they that, that kicks in. That kind of survival ability to make it work because you have to Mm -hmm. because those are your kids you know that's like a biological imperative kind of thing Mm -hmm. um but things can definitely interrupt that like trauma substance abuse uh lack of resources neurodivergence Mm -hmm. unsupported and yeah like i struggle to keep the house clean i struggle to cook regular meals I struggle just to sit down for a meal, even medicated. Like, I watch TV to keep myself seated. Mm. And I don't love it, but I think it's a coping mechanism. Because I didn't find out that I had ADHD until I was maybe 27. And so a lot of the things that I took on as coping mechanisms, I'm still unpacking. Mm. I found out at 35, ADHD and autism and cptsd all the whole alphabet all of it (laughs) yeah i've got i've got touch of all that i don't know if i'm autistic i have suspicions i have suspicions (laughs) (laughs) i don't know of many people that have eds and don't have autism there's also to tie back into the trans experience there are a lot of trans autistic people Mm mm-hmm because when you don't get or care about social norms, mm-hmm. you're like, I don't fuck with that. So I'm not <laughs> going to do it. don't want to. I unsubscribe from gender. Bye. I know quite a few late diagnosed autistic people who soon after came out as non-binary. And there's some discourse around autism being a gender, too. I feel like I've seen some of that. Like, I don't know. I, I, I would not converse on that without doing some more reading. But um, it makes sense that if you, if you can't or don't want to mask and follow those expectations of society... Even just, like, not wanting to wear a dress if you're a girl. Or wanting to wear a dress if you're a boy. Like, if you aren't okay with upholding that, 
then you're weird. Mm-hmm. But you're not weird. Just human. Like, your genitals really don't need to decide, be the deciding factor for what you wear and how you are in the world. Like, just let people be. 